Welcome to tape number nine of Notes on the Apocalypse by David Steele. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. And now to our reading of Notes on the Apocalypse by David Steele, which we pray you find to be a great blessing and which we hope draws you to the Lord, near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing on with our reading in the Apocalypse chapter 14 verses 9 to 11. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out with mix without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. And the third angel followed. The two preceding angels addressed communities, calling them to rep repentance and reformation. Indeed, the language of the second implies little or no hope of their recovery. This third angel, following up the scriptural testimony of those who went before, and assuming that church and state, the essential elements of the anti-Christian system, continue irreclaimable, addresses his message to individuals. This angel is the last that the Lord Jesus will employ to awaken sinners that are at ease in Zion. His ministry is yet future, and he will never be succeeded by an angel of mercy until mystical Babylon is overthrown. The special, arduous, and perilous work of this angel is to threaten eternal death against every individual who persists in the hitherto popular idolatry. If any man worship the beast, up to the time of this angel's appearance the beast lives and devours his prey. Consequently, his work comes within the period of the 1260 years. During this limited time, there will be found in the Apocalypse three objects of popular devotion. The dragon, chapter 13, verse 4. The beast and his image, verse 15. In this place, the dragon is omitted, and also in chapter 15, verse 2, and 20, verse 4. We may ask, why the omission? Simply because the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20. Consequently, these worshipers being Gentiles, chapter 6, verse 2, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 2, there is no necessity that the dragon, the devil, should be particularized. 
From the first rise of the beast, he was in alliance with the dragon, chapter 13, verse 2 and 3. Therefore, both are doomed to perdition, chapter 20, verse 10. Most expositors consider this angel as emblematical of events already past. The Reformation affected by Luther, his coadjutors and successors, or the Church of England. Footnote, this is the opinion of Mr. Faber. Back to the text. Their error consists in viewing the beast as the symbol of the Church of Rome, and it is remarkable that through the power of local and political bias, these commentators who themselves perceive that the beast of the sea in chapter 13, verse 1, symbolizes the Roman Empire, lose sight of their own exposition when they arrive at the place before us. And of this bias and inconsistency they seem to be wholly unconscious. No, there has never yet appeared in the symbolic heaven a minister or ecclesiastical organization which has authoritatively denounced everlasting punishment against all who receive the mark of the beast. It is to be noticed here that the sins charged are cumulative, not distributive. Guilt is contracted as here charged by worshipping the beast in his image and receiving his mark. If the beast signify immoral civil power and his image signify the papacy, or papacy, as we have seen they do, then it follows that worshipping both and receiving the mark of the former constitute the special guilt here charged by the angel, that is, eulogizing, praising, and actively cooperating with civil and ecclesiastical society at war with the Bible, in organized hostility to the Lord and his anointed. Psalm 2, verse 9. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? Psalm 94, verse 20. But during the 1260 years, the secular imperial beast consists of the kingdoms of this world, in alliance with the beast of the earth, chapter 13, 1 and 11. And as both are for their crimes co signed to, to utter destruction, so in the time of the third angel every individual is threatened with everlasting punishment who identifies with them. No temporal judgments on... Excuse me. This is a quote from Scott. Quote, no temporal judgments or on collective bodies can be the fulfillment of this awful denunciation, which evidently relates to individuals and to each individual who is guilty. And if words can convey the idea of eternal punishment, it is here denounced. End quote. Back to the text. The words in the original translated the Greek in the Greek. Excuse me. The words in the original, translated forever and ever, verse 11, are the strongest in the Greek language to signify eternity and are not susceptible to, of any other meaning. As already intimated, the special mission and awful message of this angel is yet future, but the testimony of his predecessor will make the tyranny, idolatry, immorality, and profligacy of civil despots and mercenary ministers so palpable and glaring that the vengeance of the Lord proclaimed by the last messenger will appear to be just. In this way, the two witnesses smite the earth with all plagues, chapter 11, verse 6, for they are identical with the third angel and have an active agency in the work of judgment to be executed upon their anti-Christian enemies, chapter 15, verse 7. 
And who knows the power of the wrath which is poured out without mixture into the cup of Jehovah's indignation? In temporal judgments there may be a mixture of mercy, but there is no such element in the cup of impenitent votaries, votaries excuse me, of mystic Babylon. Holy angels look on without sympathy for her agonies while the Lamb inflicts the tremendous penalty of her complicated and long-continued crimes. He shall be tormented, their torment. Individuals found guilty of complicity with Babylon will be bound up into bundles as fuel for that fire and brimstone whose smoke ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast, no mitigation of their sufferings. They are doomed to dwell with everlasting burnings. Isaiah 33 verse 14. Such are the denunciations which the third angel is commissioned to proclaim in the ears of men, either to bring them to repentance or to justify the Lamb in punishing their impenitent disobedience. Now, quote, Everyone who is acquainted with the writings of the Reformers and their successors knows that they generally declared without hesitation that popery is a damnable religion, end quote, from uh, Scott. Popery, however, is the religion which has corrupted states and churches throughout the world, and therefore future reformers will not hesitate to join civil states with her in their testimony and prayer, saying, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that have not known thee, and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling places. Psalm 9:17 and Psalm 79 verses 6 and 7 verses 12 and 13 Here is the patience of the saints here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me write blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth ye yea saith the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them the faithful and pointed testimony of the third angel of reform against the organized enemies of God in church and state, instead of producing repentance, tends only to provoke them to greater rage against those who thus awaken their consciences and disturb their sinful repose. The fires of persecution are again kindled, and the witnesses are subjected to the anathemas of the church and the sword of the civil magistrate the cruelty of the two beasts. It is therefore added, here is the patience of the saints. The events predicted here agree in time with chapter 13, verse 10, and the subjects of persecution are the same moral person in their legitimate successors who appeared in chapter 12, verse 17. They keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, while the multitude obey unrighteousness, receiving for doctrines the commandments of men. To animate these sufferers who are in jeopardy every hour and who have the sentence of death as outlaws pronounced against them by Antichrist, John heard a voice from heaven directing him to write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. To die in the Lord means in the faith and hope of the gospel, relieved by the witness of the Spirit from the overwhelming fears of the pains of purgatory. 
both negatively and positively, this angel testifies against the anti-Christian dogma of purgatory. He declares that the torments of the wicked continue forever and ever, while the righteous who die in the Lord cease from their labors. No stronger testimony can be conceived against the more gross papal heresy or the more modern and so-called philosophical delusions of universalists, Socinians, and others, all of whom are the offspring of the mother of harlots. But besides the voice from heaven and the concurrent witness of the Spirit against the papal dogma of purgatory, the rest here proclaimed for the comfort of martyred saints may be also understood as a termination of, to their sharp conflicts with Antichrist. Henceforth they rest from their labors. They shall never again be called to resist unto blood, striving against sin, as heretofore, by the combined opposition of the beast and false prophet, organized tyranny and idolatry. The ministry of the third angel, cotemporary with the seventh trumpet, the third and last woe, prepares society throughout Christendom for entering into the millennial rest. Verses 14 through 16. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. The gathering in of the harvest is sometimes emblematical of mercy, as when the believer is gathered to his fathers by death. His sanctification being completed, he is taken home as a stalk of corn ripe in his season. Reaping and threshing, however, are most frequently symbolical of divine judgments. Jeremiah 51, verse 33 and the apostle refers here to the same event which the Lord foretold by the mouth of the prophets. Joel 3, verses 13 to 17, Micah 4, verses 12 and 13. This harvest is emblematical of divine judgment on the nations of apostate Christendom. He who executes the judgment is one like the Son of Man, the Lord Christ enthroned on a white cloud as his chariot and having on his royal head a golden crown the symbol of sovereignty at the solicitation the loud voice of the symbolic angel a gospel ministry he thrusts in his sharp sickle the emblem of avenging justice and with an infinite ease the earth is reaped this work of punishing guilty nations is not so proper to the ministry the functions of whose office are of a spiritual nature. Yet are they active in a way competent to them, calling upon the Lord of the harvest to reap. They judge of the signs of the times, such as part of their appropriate work. Thus they say, The time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The Lord Jesus appeared in royal majesty to John as he had appeared to Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 26 and to Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. The cloud on which he sat had a bright side towards his saint, but to his enemies a dark side, as at the Red Sea, Exodus 14 verses 19 and 20. The two judgments of the harvest and, and vintage are obviously an allusion to a natural order in the climate of Judea. 
Not only did the barley and wheat harvest precede the time of gathering grapes, but some space elapsed between these labors of the husbandman. The usual order is observed here. Verses 17 to 20. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. As the ministry of the third angel, verse 9, was final as to pronouncing the deserved doom of all the adherent adherents of the anti-Christian system, so in the symbols of the harvest and vintage we have the execution of that sentence exhibited. The nations of Christendom, having drunk the wine of the mother of harlots and of her daughters too, and having exhausted the patience of the Lord Jesus, refusing to repent, while he warned them by his servants the three angels of reform, rising early and sending them were at length ripe for his sharp sickle. Long had he expostulated with them, saying to them while addressing his church, The nation and kingdom that will not serve thee, O Zion, shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Isaiah 60, verse 12. The desolating judgments of the reigning mediator, having brought those nations to hate the whore, they become the willing and zealous agents of her destruction, as appears in chapter 17, verse 16. The gathering of the clusters of the vine of the earth is a concise emblematical representation of that tremendous work of punishing the apostate church to be exhibited in greater detail in the following chapters. The angel coming out of his temple represents the gospel ministry as usual. His having a sharp sickle may import his more immediate agency in this than in the preceding work of the harvest. Christ himself judged the nations, had the sharp sickle, but in reckoning with impenitent ecclesiastical communities, he will honor his faithful servants. As in measuring the temple, the mediator held the instrument in his own hand under the Old Testament, Zechariah 2.1, but under the New Testament gave it into the hand of John, the representative of a gospel ministry, chapter 11, verse 1. So that transaction may illustrate the symbols here. The other angel coming from the altar who had power over fire is also symbolical of the ministry. The sickle in the hand of the former angel is for gathering the grapes, while the connection of the latter angel with the altar imports that a sacrifice is about to be offered as customary to appease divine justice. The vine of the earth is plainly contrasted with the true vine. Psalms 80 verse 1, Jeremiah 2, verse 21. This is a vine of Sodom with clusters of Gomorrah, Gomorrah, Gomorrah excuse me. chapter 11, verse 8, Deuteronomy 32, 32, and 33. It is the symbol of an apostate church, the chief heresy of which is a practical rejection of the atonement of Christ. For it is certain that vindictive just, justice is an attribute of God 
and that he will demand satisfaction from those impenitent sinners who despise his mercy and the gospel offer and tread underfoot the blood of the covenant wherewith Christ was sanctified. Hebrews 10.29 A heavier doom awaits all such than to die without mercy, which was the penalty for those who despise Moses' law. No sacrifice is appointed for the man or the church that sins presumptuously. Numbers 15, verses 30 and 31. To all such, our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12:29. The one angel calls upon the other, encourages his companion to execute the judgment of God. Thrust in thy sharp sickle. Under the superintendence of the mediator, his servants, by their prayers and their sermons, have an active part in this work of judgment. From the mouth of the witnesses proceeded fire to devour their enemies. Chapter 11, verse 5. This is the last work of judgment in which they will be honored. Joining their victorious predecessors who overcame the anti-Christian combinations by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, chapter 12, 11. These undaunted servants of the Lord are honored by him as instrumental in the infliction of the final judgment symbolized by the seventh trumpet and the seventh vial, the third and last woe. The winepress is the symbol of the wrath of God and its location without the city denotes the churches of the apostasy are excommunicated. Reprobate silver because the Lord hath rejected them. We are not told here by whom the grapes are trodden, but this is the work of the Lord Jesus himself, who in the days of his flesh on earth forewarned his impenitent foes that he would thus deal with them in his wrath. These, those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Luke 19.27 and uh, Isaiah 63 verse 3 Revelation 19.27 15. The blood in depth is to the horse bridles, and the, in extent a thousand and six hundred furlongs, two hundred miles. Although this language is hyperbolical, it is intended to signify a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time, and that the same time God's people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Daniel 12, verse 1. Revelation 13, verse 8. Thus it appears that church and state, having combined in the anti-Christian apostasy, are severally visited with the unmingled wine of the wrath of God. All the saints shall have obeyed the call, Come out of her, my people, and mystic Babylon shall then be utterly destroyed. Whether Palestine, the Pope's patrimony, or some other territory be understood by the 1,600 furlongs is matter of vague conjecture by all expositors and is to be verified only by the fulfillment of the prediction. Chapter 15 This chapter introduces the third and last series of symbols under which the prospective history of the church militant is given to strengthen the faith and animate the hopes of her suffering and heroic children the warfare of the witnesses for the crown rights of Emmanuel, which have been usurped by his enemies, have been symbolized under the seals, chapters 6 through 9, and under the trumpets, chapters 11, 12, and following. And the symbolic narrative is yet under the vials to be greatly amplified, especially their last and greatest conflict, 
briefly represented in the latter part of the preceding chapter, verses 9 to 18. Whether or not the vials to which this 15th chapter is introductory be all comprehended under the seventh trumpet as the trumpets are all comprehended under the seventh seal is a question upon which respectable expositors differ. It is indeed obvious that the breaking of the last seal lays open the whole of the book. Consequently, the angels holding the vials would come into view. John, however, is obliged to write consecutively some visions which he saw, as it were, as one view. Thus he was about to write what the seven thunders uttered, chapter 10, verse 4, but was prohibited. That was not the proper time or place, but it is there intimated, verse 7, that in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, the import of the seven thunders would be disclosed. Then would the mystery of God be finished as he had declared to his servants the prophets, Joel 3, verse 2, 12, and 13, Micah 4, 3, Zechariah 12, verses 2 through 4, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. Some of the most learned and sober divines who wrote on the Apocalypse during the Peninsular War waged by the first Napoleon contemplated the anarchical and bloody scenes of the French Revolution and the subsequent tyranny and blood connected with the successful wars of the Gallic usurper thought they heard in the commotions of European nations the sound of the seventh trumpet and saw the plague conflicted as symbolized by the vials. And thus it is that local events which excite the political feelings, the prejudices and partialities of even good men, are hastily interpreted as a fulfillment of prophecy. It does not appear, however, that those events were either of sufficient magnitude or geographical extent to answer the tremendous symbols of either harvest or vintage. Did the French Revolution, the American Revolution, or the wars of Napoleon I influence the civilized world or affect the Church of God as popery and Mohammedism have done? No. The comparison is preposterous. Hence, it is most probable that Christendom had not yet heard the, has not yet heard the alarming sound of the seventh trumpet. Verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Another sign in heaven. All the visions were seen by the apostle in the same place, chapter 1, 1, and chapter 12, verse 1. The word translated sign here is the same as wonder in the twelfth chapter, which for greater clearness to the English reader ought to have been rendered by the same word. The symbol or sign consists of seven angels having the seven last plagues, the last to be inflicted on the Antichrist, but not absolutely the last penal inflictions on the enemies of God. For Gog and Magog are in like manner to be destroyed, and there is eternal wrath. Upon the Lamb's taking the book, and before he had opened the first seal, songs of joy burst forth from saints and angels. Chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. So it is here. Before the angels proceed to execute their commission, the redeemed of the Lord, anticipating the effect of these judgments, give expression to their joy. Verses 2 through 4. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of gold. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. 
Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. The sea of glass, or transparency, as in chapter 4, verse 6, refers us to the brazen sea before the throne of God in the temple. In this sea, the priests were to wash themselves, Exodus 30, verses 18 and 19, and in water drawn from it, the sacrifices were to be washed also, Leviticus 1, verse 9 and 13. As the brazen sea typified the blood of Christ, that fountain opened for sin and for uncleanness, Zechariah 13, verse 1, so this sea of glass is the symbol of the same thing. For the Lord washes away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purges the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Isaiah 4.4 4. This happy company were victorious by the blood of the Lamb over the beast, his image, his name, and number, having clean escape from them who live in error, both in civil and ecclesiastical relations. This ends side one. Please turn the tape over and continue listening on side two. Holding the Eucharistic harps of gold, they are the same company as those on Mount Zion with the Lamb, chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. There their song was called new. Here it is more fully described. There it was said no man could learn that song but themselves. Here we have the matter of the song epitomized. It is constructed of two parts, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. As the children of Israel at the Red Sea celebrated the praises of God's justice in the overthrow of their enemies, the Egyptians, so do these with united voice express their admiration and praise in anticipation of the final and awful end of these cruel, idolatrous, and persecuting mystical Egyptians. Chapter 11, verse 8, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. They do also declare their faith in the universal dominion of their king, that all nations shall come and worship before him. And to this day none but the witnesses are prepared either with intelligence or affection to learn or use this song. We have the subject matter of both parts of this triumphant song framed by the Holy Spirit and incorporated in the book of Psalms as Psalm 2, verse 8, 18, verses 37 to 45, 45, verses 3 to 6, Psalm 110, verse 1. The fortunes of God's covenant people till the ingathering of the Jews with the fullness of the Gentiles may be found in Moses' book, excuse me, Moses' song, Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 to 43. And the song of the Lamb is found in chapters 5, 9 to 13, verses 5 and 6. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. John looked again and saw the temple open, and the seven angels might have e- that, that the seven angels might have egress to enter upon their heavenly mission. Their clothing resembled the garments of the priest under the law, white linen and golden girdles, representing the holiness or moral purity of their work. They shed the blood of the victims, so to speak, without soiling their garments. But the Lord Jesus, whose work of judgment this is, stain all his raiment. Psalm 63, verse 3. 
for the day of vengeance is in his heart. Verse 4. Verse 7. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. One of the four beasts, animals, the symbol of the gospel ministry, as we found in chapter 4, verse 6. Not all the ministry were employed in this action, but the but one only, that is, some few, a fractional part, possessing more insight into the sure word of prophecy and endowed with larger measure of heroic spirit by the Lord Jesus, cooperated with holy angels in this work of judgment. He gave the vials into the hand of the angels. By their preaching, their prayers, and their example, faithful ministers, unseduced by the blandishments of corrupt power, and undismayed by the bloody edicts of the beast, in nothing terrified by their adversaries, denounced the judgments represented by these vials upon the impenitent enemies of the Lord and his anointed. For an illustration of this symbolic action of giving the vials of divine wrath to the appointed agents, reference may be had to Jeremiah 25, verses 15 to 26, and 51, verse 7, and verse 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. The temple filled with smoke represents the darkness of these dispensations, the horror and dismay which seizes upon the votaries of Antichrist. But during the time of executing these judgments, the progress of the gospel will be retarded no man being able to enter into the temple. It is intimated, moreover, that these judgments will, as it were, clear away the smoke and render the temple once more luminous. So we may conclude by comparing the fourth and eighth verses. In the fourth verse, the witnesses declare their faith. Thus, all nations shall come and worship before thee. But, it, but this is the description of the millennial state of the world. Psalm 72 verse 11 chapter 16 all preliminaries being now arranged the seven angels receive their commission by a great voice out of the temple it is the voice of the Lord full of majesty Psalm 29 verse 4 as the seals and trumpets were not coincident but successive so it is doubtless with the vials no two begin to be poured out at the same time one follows another in orderly succession. Several questions of difficult solution arise in the minds of devout and humble students of the Apocalypse respecting the series of the vials. Are the vials contemporary with the trumpets? Seeing that the seventh seal included all the trumpets, does an analogy require that all the vials be comprehended under the seventh or last trumpet? Or... Do the seven vials come under the last three trumpets, distinguished as they are by the character of woe trumpets? Chapter 13, 13. Other questions may here be propounded, but these seem to be the most obvious and important in fixing the time of the events predicted. The breaking of the seventh seal unquestionably laid open the whole of the book, including all the trumpets and vials, all future events till the end of the world, but it does not follow, for instance, that the awful scene of the final judgment is to be excuse me, contemporary with any of the trumpets, chapter 20, verse 11 and 12. The seventh seal, therefore, discloses important events which are to come to pass subsequently to both trumpets and vials. 
The fact that both trumpets and vials are disclosed by the opening of the last seal admits of their being contemporaneous. From the striking, striking resemblance between the effects of the trumpets and those of the vials, chapter 8, verses 7 to 12, chapter 16, verses 2 through 12, they might seem to be cotemporary. This, however, is not the case, for the objects of the judgments are different, that of the trumpets being more formally the civil empire, while that of the vials is the ecclesiastical empire, each, however, greatly affecting the other because of their unholy union against the cause of Christ. Perhaps it may be most consonant to the mind of the Spirit to view the vials as agreeing in time with the three woe trumpets, keeping in view the definite period of Antichrist domination in church and state, 1260 years, and the probability of its drawing to a close, the remaining part would seem too short for the period of the vials, as the series of the vials, like those which in vision preceded them in successive, is successive, the application of them all to the French Revolution is simply preposterous. Footnote, so Mr. Faber imagined, back to the text, that even answered, excuse me, that event answered not to the symbol, either in extent or duration, nor indeed is there satisfactory evidence in the actual condition of the Christian world, notwithstanding the fond imagination of learned and good men, that the voice of the seventh angel has yet been heard by Christendom. Verse 1, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Earth has here the usual meaning, the whole territory and population of the Roman Empire, those only and always exempted who are true to the cause of Emmanuel. The angels of destruction cannot hurt those who are under the protection of his blood. Exodus 12:23. They may not come near any man upon whom is the mark. Ezekiel 9.6 and Revelation 14 verse 1. Verses 2 to 7. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the first went, However disagreeable a service, as we are ready to suppose, this holy agent at once obeys the divine command. The best of men hesitate and remonstrate when called to difficult and disagreeable work. So it was with Moses and with Jeremiah. Exodus 4.10 and Jeremiah 1.6 but all these heavenly messengers in succession execute their respective tasks without gainsaying. It is the will of our common Lord that his disciples should emulate their example, that they should know 
obey and submit to his will in all things as the angels do in heaven. Psalm 103, verse 20 and 21. The judgments upon the anti-Christian enemies which have been briefly represented in the close of the 14th chapter by a harvest and vintage are in this chapter more extensively exhibited by the seven vials. A resemblance to the first four trumpets may be observed in the effects of the first four vials and besides, these plagues resemble those inflicted on Egypt. If by her crimes, especially by idolatry and cruelty to the people of God papal, Rome has copied the manners of Egypt and Babylon, it is but just that she should be visited with like punishment. The first vial selects as victims those who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And this is true of the succeeding plagues, although the fact be not repeated. The object of this file is the earth in a more restricted sense than in the first verse. The earth in the first verse comprises all the parts of a system, earth, sea, fountains, sun, and air, mentioned in the following verses. The noisome and grievous sore refers to one of the plagues of Egypt. Exodus 9, verses 9 to 11. The earth was the object affected also by the first trumpet, chapter 8, verse 7. But as Antichrist had not then arisen, this plague cannot agree in time with the first trumpet, though it might with the fifth or sixth trumpet. For while these trumpets were demolishing the eastern member of the Roman Empire, making way for the development of Muhammad's Imposture, the little horn of Daniel and Paul's man of sin was revealed in the West. But the two witnesses were coincident in origin with Antichrist and were empowered by the Lord Christ to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they would. Chapter 11, verse 6. The grievous sore is to be understood metaphorically, not literally, for so the construction of the apocalypse requires. It may import the festering of unmortified corruption among the votaries of Antichrist, intensified by the faithful application of the divine law by the witnesses. The object of the second file is the sea, the same as that of the second trumpet, chapter 8, verses 8 to 9. The allusion is to Exodus 7, verses 20 and 21. Intestine commotions with war, blood, and death seem to be symbolized. The horns of the beast were often turned against one another, for the bestial kingdom was partly broken. The toes in Nebuchadnezzar's image did not cleave one to another. Daniel 2, verses 42 and 43. The object of the third vial is the rivers and fountains of water. Chapter 13, verse 10, and Exodus 7, verse 19. These symbols may signify the several kingdoms of the empire, tributary by their wealth and traffic to the great city. And as the witnesses continued to prophesy, each increased point and publicity to their testimony, giving increased point and publicity to their testimony, and as the Turks were making encroachments upon the territories of nominal Christian princesses in the West, extensive wars and great slaughter were the results. These awful judgments are followed by the plaudits of the two angels. The eternal Jehovah is recognized as the author of these judgments. The mediator may here be understood. Chapter 1, 8, John 5, 22 and 27. The angel of the waters may be the same who poured out the vial. He gives to the Lord the glory of his justice. Thou art righteous. 
He also approves the law of retaliation, for they are worthy. The other angel, out of the altar, speaks on behalf of the martyrs, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, recognizing the faithfulness of God. True and righteous are thy judgments, verses 8 and 9. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. The object of the fourth vial is the sun, chapter 8, verse 12. Power was given him, the angel. The two witnesses are represented as armed with fire, which proceedeth out of their mouth, devouring their enemies, chapter 11, verse 5. As the formal object of all the vials is the ecclesiastical rather than the civil empire, and the sun is the symbol of the chief dignitary, perhaps this vial strikes more directly upon the man of sin. The expression in the introduction to the vials, chapter 15, verse 4, Thou only art holy, seems to be a testimony against the anti-Christian name of blasphemy, his holiness. By the Reformation, symbolized by successive angels of the 14th chapter, those valiant men tormented the Pope and his vassals so that they raged and blasphemed more and more, but repented not to give God the glory. So it was at the sounding of the sixth trumpet, chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. Verses 10 and 11. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their source, and repented not of their deeds. The seed of the beast is the object of the fifth vial. The beast is all along the, all along from chapter 11, verse 7, the Roman Empire. The image of the beast we have found to be the papacy, chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. Now the seat or throne of the beast would seem to point to the metropolis where the pope, as a kind of imperial, political, ecclesiastical head, keeps his court and whence decrees are issued. This plague is like the ninth inflicted upon Egypt, Exodus 10, verse 21. It was the last but one and left Pharaoh still impenitent. Just so here, although this vial is the last but one to be poured out on the western limb of the great anti-Christian conspiracy, the population of the spiritual empire repress their complaints before men. They gnawed their tongues for pain while they were in their heart while they in their hearts cursed their king and their God and looked upward. Isaiah eight verse twenty one. This may be understood to be the actual condition of the Pope and his retainers at the present time, and especially since the year 1848 when he was forced to flee from Rome. Darkness is the emblem of distress, of mental despair. Psalm 35, verse 8, and Isaiah 8, verse 22. And the actual relation of European powers to the Sea of Rome, Austria, France, Spain, and the Italian states, is not calculated to mitigate, mitigate, but rather to augment and irritate the pains and the sores inflicted by this and former vials. We can, however, offer only conjectures here, and dare not be too confident, for learned and pious expositors are of the opinion that all the vials are comprehended under the seventh trumpet, that the seventh trumpet has not yet begun to sound, 
and consequently that the vials are yet all future. On the other hand, equally learned and godly interpreters of these apocalyptic hieroglyphics are very confident that the sixth vial is in process of pouring out at our present time and that in fact its effects are obviously traceable in providence. Already we have indicated our humble opinion that all the vials are not necessarily comprehended under the seventh trumpet inasmuch as the opening of the last seal disclosed equally trumpets and vials yet doubtless it is requisite that the series of the trumpets should precede that of the vials while nothing hinders that some of both series should cotemporate. We may conceive that as the first four trumpets demolished the western member of the Roman Empire and the next two the eastern limbs, so the vials may be distributed in a manner somewhat similar. The second woe, or sixth trumpet, has not yet furnished, excuse me, finished its appropriate work in the final subversion of the Turkish Empire which still exists, and during the time of its last echoes, the vials may be supposed to be accomplishing their appropriate work upon the Western Empire as being wholly given to idolatry. While the first five vials are consuming the Antichrist in the West, the sixth is operating in the East. Verses 12 to 16, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief, Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. The great river Euphrates is the object of the sixth vial. By the general, very general consent of expositors, the Turkish Empire is intended by this symbol. And they seem to be equally agreed that the sixth vial is now in process of pouring out. The object of the sixth trumpet is the same, chapter 9, verse 14. There is besides an obvious allusion to the ancient literal Babylon and to the manner of its overthrow by Cyrus the king of Persia, Jeremiah 50, verse 38, 51, 36, Daniel 5, 26 to 28, Isaiah 44, verse 27 and 28. This monarch, as historians relate, changed the current of the Euphrates and by this means took possession of the city while Belshazzar and his nobles were engaged in a drunken festival. Daniel 5 verses 1 to 30. The waters of this river are to be taken as representing the population of the Ottoman Empire. Chapter 17 verse 15. By the kings of the east may be understood the Jews agreeably to the symbolical symbol, excuse me, nature of this book. Isaiah 41, verses 2 and 3. Yet, as the Turkish Empire and Mohammedan imposter constitute barriers to the extension of Christ's kingdom among the populous nations of the East, as popish despotism and idolatry obstruct the gospel in the West, we may give this symbol of the kings of the East a more extensive interpretation. 
probably a larger proportion of the natural seed of Abraham are to be found on the west than even on the east of the Turkish Empire. The dynasty of the Turk is in the process of visible exhaustion and nothing but what is termed among anti-Christian nations the balance of power prolongs its existence or hinders its extinction. Drying up, evaporation is a gradual process and with singular precision describes the waning light of the once proud crescent, the expiring breath of what has been termed by a bold figure the sick man. Footnote, so designated by Nicholas, late empire, emperor of Russia. Back to the text. Under this vial, however, and likewise as the termination of the second woe, a general, final, and desperate alliance is to be found to resist the aggressive forces of the Lord of Hosts. This confederacy is headed by the dragon, which and is identical with the war, chapter 12, verse 17, against the remnant of the woman's seed. These unclean spirits, like frogs, are called spirits of devils. They come out of the mouth of all the agents, the dragon, chapter 12, 3 and 9, the beast, chapter 13, 1, and the false prophet, the same as the two horned beasts, verse 11, and chapter 19, verse 20. These unclean spirits succeed in gathering the kings of the earth by working miracles, lying wonders, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. They are the agents of anti-Christian Rome, spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6.12 Like frogs living in moral filth, garrulous and impudent, stealthily gaining access into the bedchambers of the kings after the manner of Egypt. Exodus 8.3 Surely the policy of Rome is here portrayed, her cardinals, archbishops, Jesuits gaining entrance into the councils and cabinets of princes, inciting them to debauchery, tyranny, and blood. Hellish hosts are thus gathered to the battle of that great day of God Almighty, the day of the seventh vial of the vintage, chapter 14, verses 18 to 20, and of the seventh trumpet, chapter 11, verse 15. For all these agree in point of time. This will be an hour of temptation as intimated in the 15th verse, which is a parenthesis interrupting a little the narrative of the effects of the vial. There is danger of apostasy, of falling away to those Chaldeans, of temporizing with the enemy in order to escape suffering. Thus, Christian soldiers of the cross, losing the armor of righteousness, would be exposed to shame. But blessed is he that watcheth, that looks to the captain of salvation, to his cause, as elucidated by his providence, the signs of the times, for so shall he keep his garments when others are found naked. And he gathered them, or rather they gathered, for the singular verb agrees with its nominative plural, neuter, as usual. The unclean spirits gathered the kings of the earth to the destined place. This hinders not but that these anti-Christian enemies of the church are brought together by the Almighty. Just so he sent the king of Assyria against a hypocritical nation, Isaiah 10, verses 5 to 7. And doubtless the prophet Joel prophesied of this great and decisive battle, chapter 3, verses 11 to 14. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Compare verses 1 to 2. The place is called Armageddon, the mountain of destruction, suggesting the issue of the battle in the final overthrow of Antichrist, for it is not necessary to suppose that any place is literally pointed out. 
But as this is a compound word in the Hebrew tongue, allusion may be made to the slaughter of Sisera's army, Judges 5.19, or to the mournful death of Josiah, 2 Chronicles 35, verse 22. This ends tape number 9 of Notes on the Apocalypse by David Steele. Please go to the next tape in the series and continue listening. Thank you. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as SWRB's complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. This book, Notes on the Apocalypse by David Steele, is also available from Stillwater's Revival Books in softcover format at a discount in our A to Z author listings. And please, don't forget to look over the 62 CDs that make up our Reformation and Puritan bookshelf CD sets if you visit our website at swrb.com as these CDs are a great way to build a major reform library at a fraction of the cost of the printed book.